This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome. Two lengthy shows tonight, so let's get right to it. Here's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy and their special guest, Elsa Maxwell. The Charlie McCarthy Show. This is Ben Grauer, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Snurd, Ursel Twing, and our guest for the evening, the internationally famous hostess, Miss Elsa Maxwell. Here's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Well, Charlie, tomorrow we'll, we'll be saying au revoir to little old New York. Yeah, well, we sure had fun here, haven't we? Yeah. We wore the old town out. <laughs> yeah. Say, did you get in touch with the baggage man? Yes, I took care of it. That's fine. He's already got his truck parked under your hotel window. I <laughs> Yeah. And tomorrow we're off to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City? Yes, yes. I'll be there next Sunday. Uh, sort of a request to the governor. I thought your parole was up last year. No, wait a minute. No, no, young man. I didn't know. Ray Noble and his orchestra take us away on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. Why haven't you been present at meals the last few days? Well, because I was absent. I see. 
And why have you been absent? Well, because I wasn't present. I know. Well, shall we go around again? No, no, it won't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been acting mighty strange lately. Yes, sir. What's gotten into you? Well, that's just it. Nothing. Nothing, I think. The, the horrible truth is I haven't eaten for five whole days, Mr. Durkin. You haven't eaten? No, sir. That's why I'm so weak. Malnutrition has already set in. Is that so? Well, explain your actions. I don't understand. Well, it's like this, Bergen. You went and cut off my allowance last week, didn't you? I certainly did. Yes. So, I'm on a hunger strike. Oh, I see. So that's it now. Yes, sir. A hunger strike. You're darn right. That's what it is. Yes. Yes, sir. And I'm, I'm just being sick of being punished all the time. Is that so? Yes. But, young man, you're only punished when you deserve it. Well, that's what I say. I'm sick of being punished all the time. I don't know. I'm not going to quibble. I'm going to understand. I'll get my points. What are you babbling about? Look at it. No, please. No, please, please. I'm no, no mood to take a jolly listen. So that's it now, a hunger strike. Yeah. You know, I think you're blush bluffing. Well, make up your mind, will you? <laughs> Why don't you sit on my knee? No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't know what I have to go through up here. I am practically doing a single. All right. <laughs> yeah. Are you bluffing about this hunger strike? No, sir, I'm serious. And I'm just going to keep right on starving until you give in and I get my full allowance back. And that's it. Even even if I demise myself doing it. Oh, I see. And I, I, I would argue more, but those hunger things, oh. Charlie? 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 Don't you think you deserve to be punished after the way you fought with Fred Allen last week? Please, please. Don't mention that fiend in comedian's clothing to me. He caused all my trouble, that dirty... Oh, dog. now, now, please, Charlie. Now, I'm, I'm sure that Fred Allen, you know, you know he's an old friend of mine. I don't care about that. And I, and I think he's really, he really likes you deep down inside. Yeah, well, I got a warm spot for him, too. But he won't go there. All right. <laughs> So that's the way you feel. Why, I clip him like a hedge. If he... Wait. I mean, if I was stronger. Yes, yes. Of course, I'm so weak now. I, I'm just too weak. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you didn't sound so weak a moment ago. No, but I am. I'm, I'm wasting away, Burden. Already, my poor little legs, they're so skinny. I have to wear garters to hold up my garters. Is that true? <laughs> That's pretty skinny. And you know how cute they used to be. <laughs> well, this is really serious, Charlie. Why, the worst may happen. Oh, well, it's quite all right. I, I've remembered you in my will. I see. I'm leaving you all the money you owe me. I see. <laughs> well, Charlie, I think I'd better take your temperature. Well, you've taken everything else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the pain. Oh, everything. Everything is getting dark. Dark. Ain't I pitiful? <laughs> I think you're exaggerating. No, I'm not, Mr. Bergen. Could I talk to Anita and Ray before the end comes? Yes, yes, I'll call them. 
I'm too weak. Yeah. Oh, Anita and Ray, uh, Charlie wants to see you. Oh, come here. Yeah. 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 Oh, I say, Charlie, why so glum, old boy? Well, I thought you ought to know, Ray. Uh-huh. I'm dying. Oh, how inconvenient. <laughs> well, Charlie, can I help you? Yes. Charlie's on a hunger strike. Oh, <laughs> strike. How jolly. Can I pick it? No. no. You don't understand. I haven't tasted food for five days. Well, my dear old boy, don't worry about that. It still tastes the same, you know. Oh, Charlie, are you really sick? Oh, yes, Anita, my sweeter, yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I hope it wasn't the ice cream I brought you yesterday. Yeah, that, uh, what was this about ice cream? Well, now, 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 I can explain that. I thought so. You see, it was it was only to cool my fevered brow. Yes, of course. I always use strawberry-flavored ice pack. I thought so, yeah, yeah. I say, Charlie, old boy, I wouldn't starve to death if I were you. You'll only live to regret it. <laughs> live? Rather <laughs> 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 a clever observation, I thought. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> it's things like that that make going pleasant. <laughs> Well, Charlie, I really think it's my duty to cheer you up, even if it depresses you. Yeah. I know. I'll tell you one of my excruciatingly humorous criticisms. You'll love it. Yeah, that's right. Hit a guy when he's down. (laughs) Oh, suffer. I'm so hungry. Hungry? Yeah. What? You hungry after all that food I've been hoisting up to your window? Yeah, well, hoisting food up, starving. Well, I can explain. Yes, I think you better, young man. Come to think of it now, I'm pretty sure you were eating when I came in here. What makes you think so? Well, your 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 mouth was moving. Well, that doesn't prove anything. Your mouth is moving right now when you ain't eating. Moisting well, <laughs> uh, food, strawberry ice cream. You know, I believe you've got stomach pain. You do? Yes, I do. But I think it's from overeating. What do you got to say to that? Well, I will... Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Uh, now, just a moment, Charlie. Come back here. I got to see a man about a stomach pump. Yeah. I... Our lovely little Anita Gordon sings, but I did. I don't want to phone you again, but I did. I didn't want to see you again, but I did. I had a certain feeling for you that bothered me. I had to find out what the hidden charms could be. I didn't want to hug you again, but I did. I didn't want to kiss you again, but I did. I must have been too sentimental doing what I did. I didn't want to fall in love, but I I didn't want to hug you again, but I 
Well, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they'll be happy together. Yeah. Mortimer, <laughs> how can you be so stupid? Well, it's an old family recipe. I imagine. <laughs> with us today. Why, you don't mean... Yes, I do, Elsa Maxwell. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Edgar. Well, it's the same old Elsa, pretty as a picture. Same old Edgar, blind yeah. as a bat. Yeah. <laughs> and how is Charlie, my little woodwind? Yeah. Oh, fine, fine. What do you know, Gravel Tonsil? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. I'm just back from Hollywood. Oh. See, I'll bet they're still celebrating out there. <laughs> yeah. Elsa, it is, it is nice to get back. Aren't you glad to be back in New York? Oh, yes, Edgar. There's no place like New York. Oh, you're so right. I love it during the nylon season. I don't know. <laughs> That's very funny. Ha-ha. <laughs> I'm laughing. Yeah, well, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you're shaking the whole house. No, no. <laughs> now, no remarks about Elsa's weight. No. Oh, it doesn't bother me, Edgar. I used to have an hourglass figure. Well, what happened? Well, it kept gaining. Oh. <laughs> What's the time now in round figures? <laughs> Charlie, I suppose you know that Elsa's going to give you a nice going-away party. No. Yes, she is. Well, what sheer heaven. <laughs> oh, I know you love this party, Charlie. I have a wonderful surprise for you. Well, that's good. How long will he be laid up? Who? Fred Allen. <laughs> <laughs> No, Charlie, it's a personal present. A present, Finney? Oh, you silly girl. I just couldn't let you do it. Just couldn't. What is it? <laughs> At my house, and I'll be expecting you over there in a little while. Yes. 
Well, now, this is awfully kind of you, Elsa, to do this for Charlie. How can I ever repay you? Oh, with check, cash, or money order. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> nice choice. My, Elsa has a beautifully furnished penthouse, hasn't she? Yes, isn't it lovely? Oh, and the view of the Fulton Fish Market, too. <laughs> I thought I told you to wear a white tie. Well, it was white until I tried to tie it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Welcome to the night's residence, gentlemen. Who shall I say is calling on all that sort of highbrow stuff? <laughs> hey, what are you doing here, Ray? Are you a major domo? <laughs> no, old boy. No, just a butler, second class. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't received my commission yet. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh... I hope they have got good groceries here. Uh, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. <laughs> oh, you're in luck, Charlie. Would you care for mustard on it? Yes. <laughs> Hello, boy. Hello. Well, good evening, Elsa. Say, you look stunning in that new gown of yours. Oh, do you like it? Yes. Notice the gathering in front? Yes. Quite a crowd in back, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just the same, I'm very pleased with this yellow dress. On the way here, several men whistled at me. Well, they probably thought you were a yellow cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, look who's here, Anita Gordon. Hello, everybody. Oh, Charlie, I think this party is simply super. <laughs> oh, it must be nice to be so young. Yes, isn't it thrilling? Yes. <laughs> How would you know? <laughs> Anita, maybe we could stroll on the terrace. Then you could slap my face, huh? Oh, I won't slap your face, Charlie. Can I depend on that? Unless you deserve it. You can depend on that. <laughs> hold on now, hold on, Charlie. Everyone has been clamoring for a song from your little girlfriend. Well, then go ahead, Anita. The terrace can wait. <laughs> Darling, you 
Juanita. Now, on with the party. Uh, friends, uh, friends. Uh, my name, uh, friends. Yes. My name is Ursula Swing. Uh, yeah, Ursula Swing. That's right, yes. And I, I represent the prayer. The yes. what? The prayer. Oh, yeah. That's right, I do. I represent the press, even if my pants are baggy. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I suppose you're a society editor. Yes, isn't it peachy? Well, I would say. <laughs> and I have a nose for news, too. And, uh, well, no, it's not exactly a nose for news, either, because if it was, it wouldn't be possible for me to smell. That's what you think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very, very funny. Yes, it is. Yes. Very funny. But I'm connected with a New York bugle friend. And, uh, well, no, it isn't exactly a real bugle no. either because a bugle goes down, 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 down and wakes people up. Yeah, we know, we know. Yes, well, I didn't think it did. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the New York bugle always puts them to sleep. Yeah. Isn't it time for you to blow? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good thing. Uh, but this isn't the only paper I've worked on, for you. Really? No. At first, I was on the Philadelphia Post, yeah. then the Washington Post, then the Boston Post. I tell you, I let a dog's lie. Well, I... It just so happens, Mr. Twing, we're not interested in your life at all. Well, it also just so happens to me that I am disappointed because I came here to get a scoop, and this is not a scoop. No, it's not even a spoonful. You just oh, <laughs> Don't peddle your paper. Yes. Uh, that does it. That does it. Yes. You all think you're so smart and scintillating. Well, we don't Yes, you do. But I find you to be just a ragtag and a bobtail crowd of ne'er-do-well. Now, what's your... So I have to speak. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But now, you've just got me into a sniff, and so goodbye. Well, then. <laughs> we drove off in a sniff. <laughs> no, no. Now that we're rid of him, yes. we come to the high spot of our party. Oh, good. You mean we're going home? No, not you. No. We're going to unveil your present. Unveil it? Well, what is it, an oriental dancer? I hope. <laughs> Don't be silly. I'll even give you one more guess. Yeah. What do you think is behind that drawn curtain? Uh, your dirty laundry? <laughs> no. Now, attention, everybody. It gives me great pleasure to present this masterpiece to my dear little friend, Charles McCarthy. I now unveil it. Do you know it? Oh, look, look. I think, what a masterpiece. Isn't that beautiful? What composition? <laughs> what coloring? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> That's what I'd like to know. Why, Charlie, it's a painting of you. Of me? Going which way? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, look at it. I got two noses and both eyes are on the same side of my head. <laughs> That's surrealism. Uh, it's a wonderful canvas. Wonderful canvas, is it? Too bad it's got all that paint on it. <laughs> I say, Charlie, it looks as though the artist painted himself into a corner and then couldn't get out. <laughs> You're standing too close. It looks wonderful from a distance. Yeah, well, you can't get far enough away from that thing. That's true. <laughs> Charlie, it's a perfect resemblance. Sure. And just think, he painted it with a palette knife. Oh, is that how he did it? I thought he sat on it before it was dry. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah. This artist works only in oil. Yeah, well, he must have done that when he was pretty well lubricated. <laughs> well, else I'm inclined to agree with Charlie. I don't think this painting does him justice. Well, so what? It only costs $400. $400? Bergen wouldn't even pay a buck for a blue boy with two pair of pants. <laughs> would you? Yeah. You would, you would, he says. Yes. Yeah. Else I must say the price is rather steep for the work of an unknown artist. 
He's not unknown. He's Michelangelo Leonardo Maxwell. Maxwell? My brother. Uh-oh, that's all. That does it. That does it. No, now, wait a minute. No, no. I'll have you know my brother is a great artist. A oh, great artist. Yeah, brothers Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, Edgar. You ordered this picture and you're going to pay for it. Not while I'm still alive. Well, not, uh, I'll wait a few days. Yes. <laughs> Don't take it. No, 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 no. You keep out of this, you monocle mop stick, or I'll kick you over my knee. How are you going to find it? <laughs> you shut up, or I'll stick pigs in your ears and use you for a hall tree. I'd like to see you try it while you park every you blend the... Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have that picture if you gave it to me for nothing. And that's just the way I'm going to give it to you, mm-hmm. right over your naked noggin. Bergen, you were framed. Stay tuned for Inner Sanctum next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Inner Sanctum with No Coffin for the Dead. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, fiends. I mean, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, inviting you through the squeaking door. Don't hesitate. Come right in. Oh, it's a bit dark. Careful, don't brush up against that skeleton. Oh, he's quite harmless, I assure you. He's only the skeleton in our closet come out for a bit of air. <laughs> the idea of a skeleton coming out for air. Such nonsense. Oh, you mean because it's already so well ventilated? Oh, how do you do, Mary Bennett? Hello, Mr. Raymond. Mm. Now, you tell me truthfully. Is there a family skeleton in your closet? Oh, yes, indeed. And what's more, we make no bones about it. <laughs> but I'd uh, like to really get him out of the closet. I need space to store my Lipton's noodle soup. What a silly thing to say. Hmm? You know very well that Lipton's noodle soup comes in a tidy little package that takes up hardly any room at all. Oh. fact is, Lipton's is convenient all the way around. It takes hardly any time to make. Costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. And when it comes to flavor, nothing can beat Lipton. It's a grand, homemade-tasting noodle soup with a a chickeny flavor. And, folks, Lipton's is just swimming with tender golden egg noodles. It's like I always say, you just don't know how good noodle soup can be till you've tried Lipton. And like I always say, tonight put a tight hat on your head so your hair won't rise. And get ready to listen to No Coffin for the Dead. It's an original story by Emil Tepperman. Now, a star tonight is that famous radio actor, Les Tremaine, who plays the part of 
Tom Archer. Along the swanky East River Drive, all is quiet, except for the footsteps of two men who hurry toward one of the many tall apartment houses. Let me introduce you quickly to these two men before uh, death strikes out at them. The man on the outside, the tall, blonde man, is District Attorney Tom Archer. The other one, the lean, dark-haired fellow, is Tom Archer's assistant, John Frame. Tom's really worried about him. I'll walk you to the door of your house, John. I don't like your being out alone this late at night. Whoever's been sending you those threatening letters isn't just... Look out, John! That fellow in the alley with a knife! Look out! Drop that knife, you! Oh, you... You've killed him. You've killed John Frayne. Look! Keep back, you... Oh, that knife, you don't... Oh! No, don't stab me! The devil... Killed John Frayne. Stabbed me... I'll remember his face if I ever see him again. I'll remember. When I began to regain consciousness after that attack, I was lying on the ground at the mouth of the little alley near... John Frame's home. A fussy little ambulance intern had just finished working over me. There was a small crowd around me. And I glimpsed the face of Detective Inspector Lambert just behind the intern. There. Feel better now, Mr. Archer? Uh, how is he, Doc? I about got him fixed up, Inspector Lambert. I think he'll be all right. He's conscious now. Can I talk to him? Yeah, but better not move him for a few minutes till the shock wears off. How are you, Mr. Archer? Well, pretty good. I feel like a mummy with all these bandages. Yeah, both hands. What did they do? Jump you with knives? Well, we... We were passing the alley. John and I... John! What happened to John Frame? Speak up, Inspector. What happened to John? Now, take it easy, Mr. Archer. John's dead. They got him in the back. I threw the heart. Oh, merciful heaven. John. Did you get a look at the killers, Mr. Archer? Could you identify them? Well, there, there was only one man. He, he came out of the alley. He stabbed John, and then he swung at me. I didn't have time to go for my gun, so I, I caught the blade in my bare hands. He ripped the knife away and stabbed at me. I, I don't know how many times. Six stab wounds, Mr. Archer. If you're darn lucky, none of them hit a vital spot. Yes. That was a brave thing, Dad, and I have to your bare hands. Probably saved your life. It's the mistake the killer made, leaving me alive. I've seen his face. I'll catch up with him if it takes the rest of my life. I was a bit shaky on my feet when Inspector Lambert and the intern helped me up. But I insisted on going over to where the body of John Frayne lay, covered with a white sheet. And then I saw Susan, leaning against the great comforting bulk of old Mrs. Hogan, her housekeeper. She was looking down at the shroud that covered her husband's body. It was God's will, Mrs. Frayne. 
Susan. Oh, Tom. Tom, I can't believe it. John. Be, be brave, Susan. John's dead. Nothing I can say will replace him. Have you any idea who the murderer is? I, I saw his face for a moment. That's all. But I'll recognize it again, I'm sure. Miss Groucher, here's something we found in the alley. What is it, Inspector? Looks like the charm off a watch fob. It's broken off. The charm? Do you recognize it, Mrs. Green? Oh, no. No, it can't be. It can't be. No, no, of course not, Susan. There are hundreds of watch charms like this one. What is it, Mrs. Green? That watch charm. My younger brother, Peter, wears one just like it. Oh? Oh, nonsense, Lambert. You can buy those in any jewelry store. Besides, I saw the killer's face. It wasn't Pete. Mrs. Hogan. Yes, Mr. Archer? Please take Mrs. Frayne upstairs now. That'll do. Come along, darling. I'll see you later, Susan. Oh, please stay here, Tom. You're hurt. All those wounds. Uh, I'll be okay. Right now, I'm going to go downtown with Inspector Lambert and look at pictures while that murderer's face is fresh in my mind. headquarters, I looked through hundreds of pictures in the rogues' gallery. It was just two hours before I came upon the photograph. Lambert, this is our man. You're sure? Positive. I'll never forget that face. Turn it over. Let's see the name, quick. Right. Bart Hogan. Good heavens. Bart Hogan? That would be the son of old Mrs. Hogan. The frame housekeeper. Lambert and I both remembered the case of Bart Hogan. It went back five years before John Flane had married Susan. Bart Hogan had lived with his mother, both working for Susan's father. One day, Bart Hogan had snatched up a kitchen knife and attacked Susan's father with mad fury. Only John's lucky arrival had saved the old man. John subdued Bart Hogan. The mad youngster had been committed to the state asylum for life. But he had escaped seven months ago. Nobody had heard from him since then. Until tonight. Great Scott. So that murderous kid has come back after all these years. Get his revenge. I'm going back to the Flame house. I, I want to talk to Mrs. Hogan. You think you might know where our son can be found? Who knows? I'll talk to her anyway. Uh, by the way, Mr. Archer. Yes? While you're up there, suppose you just kind of check on whether Brother Pete has lost his watch charm. Frames occupied a top-floor duplex in the riverfront apartment house. I took the elevator up, and Mrs. Hogan admitted me. I'll take your hat and coat, Mr. Archer. Thank you. Mrs. Hogan, where's your son, Bart? Bart? Oh, why'd you ask after Bart? Have you seen or heard from him since he escaped from the state assignment? What... What makes you ask that? Mrs. Hogan, that there's reason to believe that the person who attacked us in the alley is your son, Bart. Oh, no, no. Never say that, Mr. Archer. I'm afraid it's true. No, it, it, it couldn't be. I swear to you, it couldn't be, Bart. Why not? 
But I can't tell you why. But it wasn't Bart, I'm sure. What makes you so sure? You know where he's been hiding since his escape? Do you know where he is now? Heaven help me. If you know where he is, you must give him up. <laughs> but he didn't do it. He didn't. Believe me, Mrs. Hogan. I understand how you feel. But it'd be far better for Bart to go back to the state asylum than to be hunted for this new crime. If he didn't do it. <sighs> Mr. Archer, if if I prove to you that Bart couldn't have done it, would you let him be? Not make him go back to the asylum? I don't know what to say. You see, I was downtown just now, and I recognized the picture of the man who attacked us. It turned out to be your son. There's very little chance that I was mistaken. But if I prove he couldn't have done it... How can you prove it? Well, come. I'll show you. usually ruddy face was drained of blood as she led me up the stairs to the upper floor of the duplex and then along the hall to her room. I always keep the door locked. Go inside, please. Well, I, I don't see anything in this room, Mrs. Hogan. Well, over here, please. Look at the closet. Hmm. Is that you, Ma? Is that you? It's all right, Bart, darling. I... I brought a good friend. Good heavens. You've been hiding him here in this closet? For seven months now. When he escaped from the asylum, he came here. I cleared out the closet. Just holds the cot. He lies in there night and day. Where's he, Ma? Where'd you bring him? What's he want? Don't be afraid, Bart. Mr. Archer won't hurt you. He wants to ask you some questions. What? Have you been out of this room tonight? <laughs> out? Me? Not a chance. He tells the truth, Mr. Archer. Here. I'll pull the blanket back and show you the proof. There. Look at his legs. He was shot in both legs when he escaped from the asylum. I couldn't get medical attention for him and the wounds never healed properly. I see... You must believe me now, Mr. Archer. Bart couldn't be one who attacked you. Because, well, he'll never be able to walk as long as he lives. Mm. <laughs> well, now, if Bart Hogan didn't do it, and mind you, I said it, then who did kill poor John Frame? Well, whoever killed him must have been a rather cheerful person because he uh, took life so cheerfully. <laughs> cheerful, indeed. Mr. Raymond, you've always had such gruesome thoughts on your mind. You wouldn't recognize something cheerful if you met right up with it. Oh, now, Mary, aren't you being a bit unfair? No, I'm not. You just don't know what folks like. But you listen to me, because I'm going to make a suggestion that'll please everyone. All right. Folks, if you want to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, why not send them a package or two of Lipton's Noodle Soup? It's so easy to do. You don't even need a request slip. You know, a bowl of hot soup makes a mighty good snack for the boys. And when they receive Lipton's Noodle Soup mix, they're getting that old-fashioned kind of chickeny-tasting noodle soup. 
So send a package or two of Lipton's to your favorite serviceman. That's a terrific suggestion. And uh, here's another thing that pleases me. There seems to be plenty of murder ahead in tonight's story. Uh, you remember that pretty little girl, Susan? Well, looks like she's next on the murderer's list. How about that, Tom? Come on. Tell us more. And don't spare the girl. When I enter the living room on the lower floor, a few minutes later, Susan and Peter were there with Arnold Matson, the lawyer. I tell you, this is a serious problem, Susan, and we've got to find an answer to it. There is no answer, Mr. Matson. Oh, oh, Tom, thank heaven you've come at last. Hello, Susan. Hello, Peter. Hi. You know Mr. Madsen, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course. Uh, I understand, Mr. Archer, that you narrowly escaped the same fate as poor John. Well, uh, I was lucky. Those bandages must be a nuisance. I can stand them. Bandages are better than a shroud. Uh, by the way, Peter, that uh, looks like a new watch charm you're wearing. What, this? Oh, I lost the other one someplace, so I bought a new one. What of it? Oh, nothing. Now, Miss Masson, when I came in, you were saying something about a serious problem. Exactly. As you know, Susan's father left an estate of a million and a quarter dollars in a trust fund to be paid to Susan on her 23rd birthday. Yes, yes, I know. And she'll be 23 next month. But uh, there's a proviso in the will, Mr. Archer. In order to receive the inheritance, Susan must be married and living with her husband on that date. Please, Mr. Matson, I... I don't want to talk about the money. Yes, but don't you see? You lose it all. The will distinctly says that you must be living with your husband. If not, then the money goes to eight charities except for $50,000 to Peter. I don't care. I don't care what happens to the money. Without John, it doesn't matter. Well, well, Peter, it'll be a break for you. What do you mean by that, Master? Well, there's no need to become enraged, Peter. I only pointed out... Oh, you out. filthy rat, I'll show you what I'm going to go, 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 All right, all right, take your hands off me. Why are you all looking at me like that? You look as if you... You thought I killed John. Well, say it. Why don't you say what you think? Better cool off a little, Pete. This is no time for a scene. Yeah? For that matter, Tom, aren't you? What about you? You'd like to marry Susan yourself, wouldn't you? Why, you rotten little... You better cool off a little, Tom. This is no time for a scene. No, I'm sorry. Yes, Peter, you're right. I would like to marry Susan. You know that, don't you? Yes, Tom, I know. Yeah. You two look at each other like a couple of puppies in love. I'm going to get a... And that's to the 50,000. Hey, George, I've got it. Got what, Miss Matson? The solution. The solution to our problem. What are you talking about? That's it. Don't you see, Susan? You can marry Tom Archer here, and then you'll be able to legally claim the estate on your birthday. Well, that's a pretty callous thing to suggest, Matson. Callous? I'm a lawyer. It's my duty to protect my client. I... I couldn't do it. Of course not. Look here, Susan. Is there anyone else in the world who would benefit by John's death? Uh, I don't know. I... I, I can't think. Well, what's the difference? Are you still looking for clues, Archer? You know who the murderer is, young Bart Hogan. I look first. Bart Hogan? Metzen. How did you know about Bart Hogan? What? What do you mean? Well, I, I just come from Inspector Lambert's office. There, there was nobody present when we found Hogan's picture. How did you know about it? 
Yeah, it's really quite simple. I phoned headquarters a little while ago, and Inspector Lambert told me. Roger, Roger! <laughs> What's that? Peter! Roger, come quick, in the kitchen! Well, come along, Matson, quick. Yes, you stay here, Susan. All right, Pete, take it easy, we're coming. Down the hall, the kitchen! Get hold of yourself. You, you open the door, I, I can't. Go ahead, Archer, open it. Good heavens. It's Mrs. Hogan. lay on the kitchen floor on her back with blood all over her clothes. The blood came from a gaping knife wound in her throat. And the knife lay on the floor alongside her. I found her that way. Her uh, body's warm. She was killed within the last 10 or 15 minutes. Then, then the killer's running loose somewhere in the house. Susan, she's alone. Good heavens, there on the floor. Susan, Susan, darling. Is she, is she dead? No. No, no, she's... She's only fainted. The shock. Oh. oh. It's all right, Susan. What happened? Was it... Was it Mrs. Hawkins? Yes. Who? We don't know. But the killer's in the house. That madman is liable to kill us all, one at a time. I have a revolver. Let's search the house. Right. Matson, you go in the kitchen and stand guard over that knife. There may be fingerprints on Very it. Very well. Peter, you stay here with Susan. Here's my gun. Don't be afraid to use now it. Wait. Wait just a minute. What is it, Matson? Has it occurred to you the killer may be one of us? One of us? What are you looking at me for? You were out of this room for quite a while. Why, you are a killer! Look out again! Better. I'll take the gun. <laughs> He was going to shoot me. Sorry. I lost my head. Susan, I'm sorry you have to go through all this. Everybody's on edge. There's a killer loose in the house, and we've got to find him. Yes, Tom. I know you'll do whatever's right. I'll try. Uh, you two. You can both stay here with Susan. I'll search the house myself. Matson, call the police. Yes, but how can you hold the gun with your hands all bandaged? Do you can't pull the trigger. I'll use it as a club. All right, now. Don't move out of this room till I return. Be careful, Tom. You mustn't let anything happen to you, too. I went slowly up the stairs to the upper floor, gripping the gun by the barrel in my bandaged hand. The end of the hall, I stopped before the door of Mrs. Hogan's room. I opened the door with the keys. Inside the room, the closet door was open. Bart Hogan was still lying on his cot. He must have been expecting me. His eyes were wild with terror. He had a long pencil clutched in his right hand, the only weapon he could find to use against me. His left fist was clutched into a tight ball. He watched me, stiff with fear, as I moved slowly toward him, across the room. Keep away from me. I had no time to waste on him. I swept aside the fist to clutch the pencil. Help! And brought the revolver butt down hard on his forehead. I, I went over to the window, opened it. Then I, I went back to the bed and pulled the sheet, pulled it away lifted him. His weak and withered legs dangled uselessly. 
I carried him over to the window, rested him against the sill. He opened his eyes. He was recovering from the blow. I didn't wait. I pushed hard. He went toppling out of the window. I leaned over and saw the body strike against the tenth floor setback, then go hurtling into the air and smash down upon the pavement far below. There wasn't enough of him left to perform an autopsy on. They'd never know his legs had been no good, that he hadn't been able to walk. Everything would be easy sailing from here on. Susan would marry me to save the estate. A million and a quarter dollars. Oh, I've been clever enough. When I called out that fake warning at the mouth of the alley, I myself stabbed John in the back. Then I slashed myself up. They had taken my story at face value, Lambert and the others. I'd guessed that Mrs. Hogan was hiding Bart, but just as a precaution, I'd stolen Peter's watch chain and dropped it at the scene of the crime in case I should need another suspect. But when I found Bart couldn't walk, it became necessary to kill Mrs. Hogan, too, for she was the only one who could tell the police that Bart hadn't been able to walk. All I had to do now was go down and say I'd found Bart, we had fought, and he had fallen from the window. The perfect crime. I took one more last look down into the street where a crowd had gathered around Bart's body. I was able to make out the figure of Inspector Lambert bending over what was left of him. And I saw Lambert force something out of the clenched left fist of the dead body. In a flash, I remembered that feeble little pencil with which Bart had tried to defend himself. I pulled in my head from the window and glanced across to the closet. I saw it at once. A small white scratch pad. I rushed across the room and snatched up the pad. There, on the topmost page, were the indentations of what Bart Hogan had written on the page. And then had torn off. I could read it clearly. I could almost imagine his terrified voicing of a frightened appeal as he wrote it. Archer was here. He means to kill me. He wants them to think I killed John Frame. But I can't walk. I've got two bullets in my legs. For God's sake, save me. Bart had written that note, meaning to throw it out the window. But I had come back too soon for him. And I had thrown it out of the window for him. I went back to the window and looked down. I saw Lambert peering up. He turned away and hurried toward the entrance of the building. He's coming for me. There's only one thing for me to do now. I've locked the door. It'll take time to break it down. In the meantime, I've taken the bandage off my right hand. I'm writing a full account of tonight's work. I gambled for a fortune. And I lost. Oh, dear. And I love that boy so. Yes, sir, he seemed like such a nice young man. 
Well, his trouble was he tried to commit the perfect crime without first practicing up on minor crimes. He should have started by stealing watermelons and then maybe tried his hand at robbing mail trains. Mr. Raymond, what are you suggesting? And just when I was getting ready to tell people to send a bowl of soup to the boys overseas. Hmm? Wouldn't the soup get cold by the time it arrived? Oh, of course not. Why, Lipton's noodle soup mix comes in a flat package. Mm. You simply send it along to your favorite soldier. Oh. And he'll be pleased by your little gift because this noodle soup is just like a, well, just like a taste of home. So enclose a package or two of Lipton's the next time you write to him. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry you have to go so soon. But drop in again next Tuesday for another little blood fest. You know, some people have to commit murders to get a kick out of life. Others get their satisfaction from listening to Inner Sanctum. But a uh, word of advice. If you've got to commit a murder, please don't get yourself caught. Because if you do, you'll surely get a free ride with the only person never bothered by backseat drivers. I mean that they're purse drivers. <laughs> by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is A Time to Die by Hilda Lawrence. Now, I guess it's time to close the squeaking door until next week when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant And don't forget to tune in again next Tuesday night to Inner Sanctum. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Fred Allen Show, followed by Suspense Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and Moses Neimer, executive producer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.